Welcome to the Knowledge at Wharton podcasts. Knowledge at Wharton is the online research and business analysis journal of the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit our website at knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Support for Knowledge at Wharton podcasts comes from Vanguard, offering investments designed to help individuals and institutions reach their long-term financial goals at Vanguard.com. As CBS News puts it, when the Fed chairman speaks, everyone freaks. What that hyperbolic headline refers to is the sell-off in stocks and rise in bond yields this week after Ben Bernanke, the Federal Reserve chairman, reportedly told a CNBC reporter that markets had misread his testimony before Congress last week. In his testimony, the Fed chairman had seemed to hint that the Fed might stop raising interest rates in May, and stocks and bonds rallied in response. But then Maria Bartiromo, a CNBC anchor, reported on television that she had spoken to Bernanke during a Washington correspondence dinner over the weekend, and he had told her that the markets had misunderstood his testimony. That was enough to send the markets in a tizzy this week, resulting in the sell-off. So now, if the Fed does stop raising interest rates in May, or if Bartiromo is right, if it doesn't, what will that mean for the markets? Uh, Jeremy Siegel, a professor of finance at Wharton and author of the book, The Future for Investors, spoke with my colleague Robbie Shell and me, Mukul Pandya, in the Knowledge at Wharton office today. Uh, Professor Siegel, welcome. Happy to be here, Mukul. Uh, Before we get into the discussion about interest rates and the impact on the market, What do you think about this whole weekend episode with CNBC? When Alan Greenspan was the Fed chairman, he had a reputation for being very reticent. What lessons does uh, Mr. Bernanke need to learn about making off-the-cuff remarks to journalists? I was pretty appalled when I learned what had happened. It was a rookie mistake, and uh, as uh, Ben is an excellent man for chairman, uh, but he definitely made a mistake. Interestingly enough, uh, there was a report uh, that in the first few months of Greenspan's administration, he actually also made some comments. Um, and it was actually on, on TV in response to a reporter, which was uh, again taken by the markets, and he never again gave a live uh, TV or radio in the next uh, 18 years uh, interview. He learned his lesson. It, it, Bernanke should never have spoken uh, about the markets or the economy to any uh, any group out you know the media or unless it's specifically off the record, uh, Greenspan was a master at it, and he uh, you could have dinner with him and you could ask him as many questions he wanted. He would be as polite as possible and smiling, and you'll never get an answer from him. And Bernanke's going to have to learn that, and I think. He was taken aside and said, well, you saw what happened, and uh, he won't do that again. Now, what does this all mean? Uh, basically, um, you know, Ben wants the Fed to be open, and uh, so he got it a little bit too open. <laughs> he has to know <laughs> when you make it open and, 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 and when, you, uh, when you don't. Uh, the, the truth of the matter is that uh, uh, the Fed does not know two meetings in advance. Uh, what it's going to do. I mean, it's pretty sure in the meeting that's coming up on, on May 10th in a week, it's going to raise rates to five. Uh, there's virtually no question uh, about that. Uh, but when the next meeting comes, June 28th or 29th, uh, it's going to have to look at the next uh, six weeks, seven weeks of data to make sure. He is suggesting 
uh, that the Fed will pause. I think that that is the right decision with an asterisk, and that is that we still have a, a, a bubbling, boiling uh, commodity market. Um, um, uh, housing has turned down, uh, but the rest of the economy is, is, is really booming. So he's got to keep his eye on all these uh, factors. Um, uh, but I still think the odds are, and that's, uh, we have a runaway on the inflation front, uh, that uh, he will raise to five on May and will pause for the first time in two years in June. Given that scenario, what would be the appropriate response for investors? The earnings are coming in extremely well, um, uh, and that's supporting the stock market. Uh, we finally are getting a rise in capital spending, uh, which is also uh, supporting uh, the economy. Um, oil and interest rates are still uh, the big question mark. Um, uh, but so far, the, the bullishness about the economy, and what, what's, what's so important is it's not just the U.S. economy. For the first time in nearly 20 years, we have the world economy expanding. We have the European economy beginning to move up. Japan is finally stirring, as we all know. The United States, those are the three major engines of the developed world. The developing world has been on fire now for two or three uh, years. Um, we see where finally Steve Roach, my good friend at Morgan Stanley, <laughs> has turned and said, you know what, um, things are looking better right now, although none of the imbalances really that he had uh, talked about so extensively over the last two or three years have really been addressed. He just sees all the engines of the world economy firing together. That's going to support stock prices. A bond Interest rates are still creeping higher in response to the fact that we have a strong economy. But you, you refer to the oil prices along with the interest rates. Now, uh, clearly oil is a problem area. Uh, shows no signs of going down. Uh, I just saw that they are at $74 a barrel. Uh, and as the tension over Iran and its defiance of the UN sanctions continues, uh, you know, that there's a lot of uncertainty there. Uh, moreover, the commodity markets are also in a quandary because of uh, Bolivia's nationalization of its uh, natural gas fields. Uh, how, how do you think the, the, the weaknesses or the signs of weakness compare to the signs of strength in the economy and what will that mean over the coming months? No question that we're in a commodity boom. It's fueled by a number of factors. Uh, one is, of course, a strong world economy, and we've, we, know, we all know about India and China buying a lot of these raw materials. I'll, I'll speak to that in a moment. We also have tremendous speculation going on. Um, commodity hedge funds, commodity funds of all sort are forming. They're buying these commodities on the open market. There's really, in many cases, limited supply. Investors think that that's the automatic road to, to riches. I really see a bubble. Uh, I believe developing in 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 this area, um, and it could be very treacherous as far as investors. But there's two important things to keep in mind. Um, oil has gone from two dollars and twenty cents. Well, I'm speaking of gasoline, two dollars and twenty cents a year ago to just over three dollars today, almost a dollar. Back in the 1970s, we went from 35 cents to a dollar. That's a tripling of prices. Here we've only had a dollar increase to be sure, but it's only going up at, at 33%. 
Um, this is one of the reasons why the consumer has still been able to spend despite the prices. But one should not say, hey, there's no problem. Uh, the fourth quarter GDP uh, at 1.6 percent was the uh, was a very low level, which I'm convinced was caused by the spike of gasoline and oil prices that Katrina uh, produced. Then, when oil prices went down, we bounced back to a very strong 5 percent economy in in the in the first quarter. But I have I, I am strongly feeling that we are not going to have a overly strong economy in the next three quarters. I, particularly, I think consumer spending will be down. I think what's going to support the economy is we finally see a rise in capital spending. And the rise in capital spending, CapEx, as we call it, for the first time in three or four years has begun to pick up. Finally, after all that time when you know Y2K, they redid their computers and technology, um, they didn't have to expand plant equipment because China and India were... We're also expanding. Finally, we're beginning to see an increase there. So what I think is going to happen is an increase in capital spending in the second half of this year, decrease in consumer spending to produce about a 3 to 3.5% three um, increase in GDP. Also, it's still true that although you know oil has gone from $30, $40 a barrel up to $70 to $75 a barrel, um, uh, it's still a lot of it is going through the Chinese production process, which is a dollar an hour labor costs. So even though oil seems high in the production process, it's going through a very low labor cost and then being exported to the U.S., that is a major reason why prices are, are being held down. So as a percentage increase, we are not as high. A lot of the oil prices is offset by the low costs of the goods that are produced uh, in China and India that'll keep our situation from not turning into a 1970s uh, inflation runaway. Just to change topic a little bit, uh, what do the low ratings for Bush and the Republicans mean in terms of what you're talking about? Well, it 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 has a lot of meaning. Um, uh, right now, when we take a look at what the odds makers say. Um, uh, they give it almost a 50-50 that the House will turn Democratic in the uh, November midterm elections. Still, the odds are, are strong that the, uh, the Senate will remain Republican, about a 4-1 to odds at this particular point, because there's many more Democrats that are up for re-election um, in, um, in November uh, than, than are Republicans. Well, what is the consequence uh, of this? Um, the consequence of this is that, uh, you know, Bush market-friendly legislation, stock market-friendly legislation, is going to be much harder uh, to push through. And that is why it's quite encouraging to read that the Senate has finally now hammered out a position of extending the dividend and capital gains tax cut another two years until a 2010. Uh, uh, Bush wants to get that through. By the way, he had to give a lot up on the AMT, in other words. That was the log rolling. The Democrats want relief on the AMT. Republicans want the relief on uh, the capital gains and taxes. So they, I, they, they made a trade-off that I think will go through. Uh, it's, uh, this would have been a slam dunk had it been before Bush's 
uh, ratings had fallen so dramatically. But it might mean a divided Congress. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, the American public have said, we don't mind that. It's a check and balance on the system. Uh, you know, we had that for the, you know, last, what, four to six years, the Clinton administration. And um, uh, we continued our economic boom. So we're, you know, we're pretty... You know, if, if it does go Democratic in, in the House, and I have a feeling it might because there's an accumulation of frustration. The ratings for Congress are lower than the ratings for the president. They're in the 20s. They're in the low 30s for the president, and they're in the 20s for Congress. And people say, I, I want to change over there to get, uh, get the situation rolling. So uh, my feeling is if you'd have me bet now, I would bet on the sides the Democrats are actually going to take the House. It's going to be a shock for the Republicans. There's going to be a lot of, well, what can we do? Hopefully maybe, you know, both sides will begin to see uh, uh, the light on, on, uh, on, on, on trying to steer the the U.S. In, in, a, in a better direction because clearly the number of people who say the U.S. is going in the wrong direction is at a very, very high level. Uh, actually, just to follow up on that, I think President Bush is also starting to uh, lose a lot of uh, uh, approval ratings, uh, have, have dropped significantly even within the Republican oh, yes. Party. Yeah. Uh, is that significant? Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, there's there's talk of, you know, they, we don't, they don't want President Bush to be on the stump with them in the November elections. He's definitely not viewed as an asset. He, he, he definitely looks like a, a, a weak president. I mean, not being able to resolve Iraq is clear. Now, if things go very well in Iraq, that that will increase some of the shine there. But no, there's no question that, that the, the Republicans are, are moving away from Bush, but they haven't been able to establish their own agenda. So unfortunately, it's not enough of a counterbalance, but they are really obviously very concerned. Now, coming back to sort of the global economy, uh, if you were to look the next six months out, what would be your most optimistic scenario for the world economy? And, and on the flip side, what would be your most pe pessimistic scenario? And what approach would you recommend to investors under either of those circumstances? Well, you know, uh, I, I've been, uh, since you know, I published the book a year ago, though more than a year ago now, a big fan of international diversification. Mm -hmm. uh, over 50% of the world's equity capital is outside the U.S. I, I, I actually stuck out my neck in that book and saying you should have 40% of your equities uh, outside the U.S., headquartered outside the U.S., which was unprecedented. Most advisors were trying to even get them to 20%. Most people are 10 or less. Um, international diversification is very important. We, I, I am, opt as I say, optimistic. We have potential growth in all major regions of the world, the developed world and the developing world. Um, now, what this is doing is putting pressure on interest rates. We talked about that a little bit in our last podcast about the fact that we have a worldwide increase in interest rates. It's not just the U.S., it's not just the Fed. What investors around the world are saying, hey, you know what? Growth is back. When growth is back, then mean demand for loans is back. You know, firms start spending again. They start borrowing again. This puts pressure on the market. This raises uh, interest rates. Um, and that keeps stocks and things in line. That's necessary. That's kind of the market's mechanism of saying things are better. I'm not going to let them run away. The interest rates are going to be moving up. But I think basically when you take a look at world markets outside emerging, emerging, we talked about this before, are still very bubbly. There's a lot, just like small stocks and emerging. People ask me about those two sectors. I say I'm concerned about those two sectors. Not that they're way out of line, but they don't look 
cheap to me the way international big stocks look, both Europe, uh, Japan, and the United States. I think it's promising for investors in equities uh, going forward. Again, don't overweight the emerging markets because I think that that is partly fueled by the commodities and partly fueled by tremendous capital, just like the commodity markets going in, people pushing into the emerging markets. I'd be very cautious about overweighting there. But in terms of the equity markets, I think it, it looks very good. What could happen on the bad side? Well, there's always bad. There's always something to worry about. There's always Iran to worry about. There's oil going to $100 uh, a barrel, or who, who knows, even higher. Um, my feeling is that the bubble is going to burst before we're going to get to that. I think we're going to suddenly see some pretty down days in commodities, um, and, uh, and that's going to be encouraging. And, and once that settles down and people realize, wow, housing is under control, maybe commodities are finally under control, that is a very good scenario for uh, big cap worldwide equities. One follow-up question to that. Uh, we mentioned that uh, Bolivia's president, Evo Morales, has nationalized the natural gas fields, and apparently he's planning to do the same with other natural resources uh, in that country. Can he pull this off, or is this going to lead to incredible upheaval throughout Latin America? We, we do see a very pop, left-wing populist trend in, in Latin America with Chavez first in Venezuela and now what we've seen here in uh, Bolivia. Well, you know what? I mean, the Arabs nationalized the oil companies back in the 60s. You know, <laughs> um, you know they, they said these are our resources and basically they took them over. Um, you know, the country, you know, I mean, I think we have to look forward to the country saying they, they had to. Now, of course, being friendly to foreign capital, if you're not, expropriation, you know, um, and, and then a loss of capital, you know, uh, because capital fuels growth. Look at, look at uh, you know, China, how much is, you know, foreign direct investment is moving in there at the present time, and that's, you know, combining with all the domestic saving and investment. So if you are investment unfriendly, uh, clearly that's going to hurt you long run. But I'm not particularly surprised. Um, uh, you know, basically, I mean, I, I thought the Russians nationalized UCOS, basically, you know, you know, these private oil and gas companies. So I think we just have to get used to that, that the governments are going to basically say these are ours. In some cases, they're expropriating from the private sector is not. This is something really the trend's been happening. Yeah, he can, he'll pull it off in a technical sense. But if he scares away foreign capital, which it looks like he's doing, uh, you know, obviously Bolivia will suffer long run. Every country needs a world capital market uh, if they want development. The Bolivia is not, not rich enough to pull it off by themselves. So, you know, clearly looking long run beyond this particular incident, uh, you know, one would say that uh, it, it won't be good for the Bolivians. Uh, finally, are there any issues that uh, you think are important to talk about, but Robbie and I haven't asked you about yet? I think we've talked about uh, most, most of the issues. Um, uh, I think the, you know, the, the question of the Federal Reserve uh, is, is going to be an important one. We saw a rookie mistake by Bernanke, but I, he's a real quick study and a quick learner. He won't make that mistake again. I, I would be uh, very careful. You know, May 10th is an important day. We're going to be looking forward to, I guess, uh, a week from today. It's a two-day meeting. Um, 
uh, of the Federal Reserve. It's on the second day they re released the statement, and everyone at 2.15 on May 10th is going to be looking at the market saying, is that statement going to say we can afford to pause without a commitment? By the way, and I think this is really important, the pause does not mean we're done at 5%. What the Fed is going to say is, do, I'm going to wait a little longer to see whether the slowdown in housing is, is going to significantly impact the economy. If I see it isn't and I see things bubbling again, you can make sure that he's going to continue to raise the rates. At this point, though, I think he, his, his still inclination is, is to, to pause it uh, after May 10th. Thank you. Thanks very much for speaking with us. Very happy to be with you.